Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me these ears. And if you're watching some video, appreciate your eyeballs as well. Today, I got the Chief Marketing Officer from Big Tin Can, Mr. Or I should say, Dr. Rusty Bishop. Good morning, Rusty. How you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing, Victor? I'm doing good. Uh, you're going you're to give me that mellow response. I gave you a great intro right there. Oh, the Big Tin Can guy. Yeah, man. I know. I understand. But anyway, Rusty. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rusty, let these folks know uh, two things. One, you know, a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about Big Tin Can before we jump into some serious content uh, with regard to marketing and a couple other topics we're going to talk about. You got it. Yeah. So Big Tin Can is a sales enablement platform. Uh, we're one of the, the biggest players in the space. We're a publicly traded company uh, on the Australian Stock Exchange, 2,000 plus customers uh, servicing millions of salespeople. Uh, with our sales tools across the world. And uh, those tools include things like ways to get your content out to your sales guys out in the field, no matter whether they're sitting behind a desk, top of a computer, or whether they're out there on their iPad, iPhone, meeting with customers out in the field. Uh, we also have software for sales coaching, sales training, as well as sales engagement, uh, which is what we're doing right now, meeting online, recording those types of calls, listening in with conversational intelligence. So really the full gamut of all types of sales tools that a salesperson would need to be successful. Um, so my, now, I'm going yeah. to ask you a tough question yeah. before, before you give me your background. Cause I, I want to ask you a tough question on this. Cause I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how you answer. Cause you are the chief marketing officer. I am, I'm sure yeah. you have a great answer. <laughs> better. If, if somebody were, if someone says to you, Rusty, Rusty, why, why is big tin can different? Like, why do you guys stand out? Um, what we stand out because we are absolutely obsessed with buying experience. Uh, I mean, obsessed. It's our, it is literally our vision. It's our mission. Uh, and, and that is actually to create a great buying experience. And not for our buyers, for salespeople's buyers, the people that they're out there meeting with every day. So we're so obsessed with this. And we've figured out different ways to think about sales enablement from your buyer's perspective. And everything that we do, everything that we build, every integration, every tool, every AI that we go out there and pull into our system to help salespeople be better at their jobs, is all thought of from that per buyer perspective. That's why one of the things I love about your podcast is the why in buying. Um, so I personally believe that buying experience, the experience that you have while buying something, um, dramatically influences the way that you're going to buy something and whether you're actually going to do it or not. So as a CMO of a company whose job is to help salespeople be better at their jobs, I'm obsessed with helping salespeople create a great buying experience. The whole company is obsessed with that. I saw it, I saw it all over your website. Yeah. Uh, let me put you on the spot again. Yeah, of course. Let's go. Uh, let, me, let me put you on the spot again. I said, give me an example. I mean, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, you know, you, you didn't hear the phrase buying experience. No. We're starting to hear that more, obviously, yeah. in the last few years. Uh, more importantly, as COVID and during COVID and post-COVID. But, but I wanted to ask you, do you have an example, like, you know, a tangible example so my listeners and viewers can go, oh, I, I get what the, this company does. An example of how you went in there, helped a company improve, work with their frontline salespeople, improve the buying experiences of their customers, and just give me an example of that so people can really grab onto what Big Tin Can is. Yeah, so let's, let's take a classic example. So uh, one of the largest alcoholic beverage distributors in the world. I can't name their name, but you can guess who they are. Uh, owned by a company out of Sweden and founded in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, has, imagine this, tens of thousands of people out there selling their products, right? They don't even work for them most of the time. They work for individual alcohol distributors. So imagine if you are this mega giant company and you need to figure out how to help all these people who don't actually work for you sell your products. So what Big Tin Can could go in and help that company do is make sure that everybody out there selling those products, no matter how they're changing over time, whether they're specials, whether there's new things, there's new offers, to take get that information, access it very easily on any device in, in the entire world that they use every day so that they don't have to necessarily ever talk to the people at the parent company. So tens of thousands of salespeople having the content that they need at the point of sale at all times and something that's easily searchable. So they don't even know the products that well in many cases. They walk into... You know, a grocery store and the guy says, you know, how can you sell me this thing? And he says, I can do it like this right here. Here it is. There's the answer. So they don't have to go back and send hundreds of emails into their managers and their managers, managers, and even to another company 
who they're selling their products through. It's right there mm. on the phone. So there's extremely tangible examples. By the way, I feel that one. <laughs> right? I feel, I feel yeah, that yeah. one. And I, I, look, I, yeah, I've, ca- yeah, I've carried a bag, right? I've done sales. Um, and I, I get the frustration, right? I, I, I've been there in that moment where the, where the conversation flips, um, where you're not audible ready, a term that I think is very interesting. And mm-hmm. you, you have to yeah. go back home, find the information, and then go get the next meeting. Um, I think you know this probably better than anybody, Victor. Getting that next meeting, you got about a fifty percent chance of getting it again, right? So, how many? Yeah, how much that's, time? That's optimistic. By the way, that's very optimistic yeah, okay. of you, Rusty. So let's say you got a five percent chance of getting the meeting again, right? So, if you think about, I know something I'm personally obsessed with, and is time and using time wisely, and what a tremendous waste of time that you showed up. You maybe flew there. You spent hours, you know, telling what that cost you and your company to spend that time. Go get that meeting. You couldn't pivot because you couldn't find the information that customer needed. To me, that's a moment that's easily fixed with software. Yeah. Okay, so when we think about sales tools, especially sales enablement, you know, if I'm a seller, that's the value of it to me as a seller, right? It allows me to pivot in the moment, find that thing, that piece of information, that case study, that slide in a deck that you were couldn't find in, the, in that moment, in that one moment when you got the meeting. And I think that moment is so critical and now you would ask me about buying experience, right? And to me, that's what's changed. People's expectations now are dramatically different. You can buy a car through a vending machine, okay? So what does that say? Okay, so people expect a great experience. I go to Amazon and buy something, it shows up on my door the next day, okay? I want that experience. If I have to come to you as a seller, it means I can't figure something out on the internet. So I'm expecting that same experience that I get from Amazon when you show up on my door. That's to me what drives sales enablement and why I think sellers should care about it. I love it. I love it. it, it there was so much what, what you just said there, man. My, my, my brain exploded because you brought back some very bad memories mm-hmm. uh, of, as you say, carrying the bag and going back and forth. And, you know, the buyer experience is all about creating that frictionless experience, right? Minimize exactly. the friction. But I know that you mentioned you're obsessed with time. And I think it's really important what you said. I just want to recap because what you're sure. saying is, look, if you look at the sales cycle and you're trying to close a sales cycle or shorten the sales cycle, all this mm-hmm. going back and forth, what we used to do, mm-hmm. you know, it, it costs us a lot of time, money, and who knows how many deals. Because, again, maybe we didn't get the second meeting. Sure. You know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you're going to a company and they're, they're focused on what the system's going to cost, what the platform's going to, you know, what's the price. Mm-hmm. But they don't look at what it's costing them. You know, talk to me about that and how they how you try to reframe their brain so they really learn that this is about optimizing time, which translates into lower cost, higher revenue. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Victor. And I think it's actually the hardest thing for humans to understand is the value of their time. Um, I see so many people who who don't think about the value of time. Like I meet, I feel like I meet them every day. So that's why I'm so obsessed with it. Um, so come back to your question. Like it's so important to get that right. Okay, so you have to be thinking all the time, I've got to be optimizing my time to go out there every time I meet with a customer. Um, Because how many deals slip, right? And it comes down to that. So when we go into a customer and we're saying, hey, how are you going to get your ROI out of this tool? Right, the first thing we want to ask them is like, what do you want to optimize for? Do you want to optimize for sales velocity? Do you want to move your middle? Um, Do you want to onboard salespeople faster? Are you having a problem with rep attrition? Uh, we just went through this cycle of COVID, right? Where salespeople attrition rate was something like 60%, maybe 50% um, during that time. Um, all employees were leaving their jobs like crazy, right? So, you know, we have companies coming to us with lots of different leaky parts of their, their sales team, right? So think about it like that. So what are you looking to optimize for? Um, so that's the easiest way I think about how you're going to build an ROI for these tools. Let's take a classic example. So let's say you're a company and you've decided you're going to grow through upsell. One of the easiest pathways to growth is to grow your current customers, right? So we go in and we say, look, how do you upsell today? What are your metrics? You know, what is your you know, current velocity in upsell? Most of the time, they don't really even have an upsell plan, which is a little bit scary. Um, but let's say they do have a plan. Um, so we just show them, hey, look, here's how you're going to increase upsell by making sure that every time your sellers are actually meeting with a customer, they have the ability to be audible ready. I can hear that question. Go in, look through a catalog of products look through a bunch of offerings and PowerPoints or PDFs or videos, or even AR and VR, something we're very focused on here at Bitcoin Can, sort of this future of AR and VR. Okay, and now I'm saying, look, I can now upsell you because I listened, I did discovery, you're a customer, 
And here's this other thing that will help you. So very easy to show ROI on this kind of things, right? Because you get a 20% bump in upsell across a large sales team. That translates to millions of dollars. Rusty, you know why I know I like you? I don't know if you knew this, but I, I just published a book called Mastering the Upsell in January. I, I saw that. And yeah. I realized that. Yeah, and most people don't focus on upsell, so I love that. One of the things you said, I don't want the viewers or listeners to miss this because I think it's interesting how you, you reframed it, but I don't know if you meant it on purpose. You didn't use time management. Yeah. You kept using optimized time. How do you optimize time, optimize time? Yeah. And I, I think that's an interesting phrase that you're using, kind of beating the – I don't want to say beating the customer over time, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Getting them to think about time that way. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you, just tie in optimizing time to – Let's talk about onboarding. Sure. It's becoming a big issue, right? As Huge. you mentioned, uh, you know, during COVID, people lost 50%, 60% of their sales force. They're trying to bring people back in. Yep. I mean, I would think that the Big Ten Cam platform is primed for this type of problem solving in terms of onboarding. Absolutely. It is one of our, our biggest selling points. Uh, you know, if you think about the compelling moment to buy, as, as sellers, we're all obsessed with that, that moment of like, is this buyer in a compelling moment, right? That immediately going back in time, right? Should I waste my time with the seller or spend my time with this buyer? Right? Are they in are they in a compelling moment? Onboarding right now is massively compelling, right? So the cost to replace a salesperson is, is roughly their salary times one point five. So think about the cost of that to a company. Now think about the time it takes to onboard a seller. So let's say it's like, let's say on average it's seven to nine months, whatever data set you believe out there in the in the in the internet or the people out there doing these kind of surveys. If you could shrink that time to five months, right, just by having a standardized onboarding program that people can take on their own time, that you can actually, as a manager, log in in a dashboard and see like, all right, Victor's completely up to speed. He's done all the onboarding things. He's practiced against the AI. The AI says he's ready to go. Now I go listen to Victor and look, I could certify you to sell in two months faster. Now I scale that across a thousand person sales team. Two months is a lot of time. Yeah. Okay, so a seller is pretty valuable. Let's say they got a million dollar uh, territory, million dollar quota, two months. You know, that's that's uh, roughly a sixth of that. That. <laughs> so yeah, I love what it, I, I want to highlight to people because I love what you're doing. You're very, you're very good at what you do. I can tell already because <laughs> it's like you're you're saying, okay, show them some gain. Here's what you could get, but then you you you, you hit them in the gut with the pain piece because we know we're more motivated by pain, right? In other words, Absolutely. here's how much you're losing, how much, how many deals you're leaving on the table, so forth and so on. And do you find that? You know, you could use this phrase, uh, are they in a compelling moment? I got to be honest, I've never heard that phrase before till okay. today. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and, and, and so, when, you know, first of all, how do you identify somebody in a compelling moment? And if they're not, how do you use, you know, the, the, the pain of not changing yeah. to move them into that compelling moment? Well, let's take the first part of that first. How do you, so let's define a compelling moment. So a compelling moment to me, I define that as this particular buyer or this account has had an event has forced them to just make the decision to change. Okay, now that, so for every seller out there can be selling anything, right? From from candy to the most complex offer in the world to financial services, right? So if I've had a compelling event, let's take a classic one, right? M&A. So two companies have joined. Okay, now there's things they've got to do. So they've had that compelling event. They've they got to figure out how to join up a sales force, right? They're going to figure out how to mesh two CRM systems together. They might have to figure out how who they're going to get rid of, right? Which is kind of scary in M&A event. So now this company's had a compelling event. So if your account that you're going after has had a compelling event and you've identified that, now you know that that's someone that you should be spending time with. So that's how I define that. Okay, so now okay. the part of your question was, I think, well, if I come back to it, was if you're in, how do you know they're in a compelling event? And how do you figure that out? Well, I'm in marketing, uh, not in sales, which is probably a little counterintuitive considering the way we've been talking right now. Um, but first thing I would do is right, go by, the way, I, by the way, <laughs> it, take a small pause there because I almost <laughs> see them like there's this there's this blend there now, right? There is. Hey, hey Russ, yeah, I'm, I'm going to confess something to you. I, I rarely do this, but I'm going to confess something to you. I used to laugh at marketing people. Yeah. Just to laugh. Like they don't have sure a you job. And I, but in the last, in the last 10 years, 15 years, you realize that marketing has become, I think, and I hate to say it sometimes, but I, I really believe marketing is actually more important than sales. I'm not saying sales is not important. I'm not saying that, but I think marketing has moved into the pole position when it comes to forming the customer's preferences, you know, on the internet when they, people try to find you. And so I, I really think they go hand in hand. Would you agree with that? If you want to add something to that? Oh yeah. I, I mean, marketing is, most marketers are now judged on revenue. They're no, I mean, there's still a handful out that are judged on brand, 
Um, me personally, Great I'm point. judged on how much pipeline and how much revenue I bring into the company. I mean, when I go to yeah. the board, when we go to board meetings, that's what I present. So you mean I'm, you don't go? Here's my pretty logo. Here's what right. I did to my logo. Here's my pretty presentation. Right. There's no more. There's no more pens and logos in marketing. Right? There might be for some companies, uh, but the reality is, it's like marketing is now tied to revenue, just like sales. So I, I think you know, and if you're if you're unfortunately in one of those companies where marketing and sales are siloed, uh, there's still way too many companies where this is true. Um, you know, you're first of all, you're a seller, right? And I'm talking to your audience. So I think most of them are probably sellers. I, I think it's probably your job to go figure out what marketing's doing um, and sell them on your ability to, to, to make their number because marketing has a number now. So I'll come back to that. So um, coming back to the compelling identification question, which is something, again, I think is very interesting, right? How do you identify that your account has had a compelling moment? So let's say you've defined your compelling moments for your products or your services. You'll have to do that with your team, right? I can't do that for you. Pretty straightforward. Um, so go to your marketing team, say, do we have any tools to identify whether my accounts have had a compelling moment? Um, there's tools out there like account-based marketing tools like Sixth Sense or Demandbase, where marketers now are pretty savvy. Um, you know, they can easily detect accounts that are in market. They can detect accounts that have had certain events because they know what they're searching for, right? They know that your accounts are searching for like, how do I survive an M&A? Right. Or how do you merge two sales team after M&A? People type that into their search bars, that whole sentence, because they speak into their phones. Right. OK, so go to your marketing team first. Have any of my target accounts or if you're an account manager, any of my accounts had any of these compelling events. And I want you to notify me. That's the key piece. Mr. Marketer, Miss Marketer, I want you to notify me. Whether it's email, CRM, chat, Slack, doesn't matter. Right. If one of my accounts has that event, I want to know, because what am I going to do? I'm going to refocus. I'm going to go use my time to go after that account that knows how that compelling moment. That's the first way. Second way I would recommend is use great discovery. Um, you know, part of what we do here at Big Thing Can is sales coaching, sales training, helping people build that out. A lot of times what we see going into the software is how to do great discovery. Here's our company's methodology, right? Whether you're using Victor's methodology, sales influence, whether you're using force management, any of those other type companies, great stuff out there to do discovery. You've got to ask the question. Right, you got to ask a great question, and that great question might be, "Hey, has this happened recently? Right? Have you had a change of, you know, the C level? Have you had an MMA event? Are, are you about to have a whatever event that makes your compelling thing happen?" So if that to me is pretty straightforward, right? It's talk to marketing, be a great discovery questions. That's it. So, so part two of the question was, <clears throat> excuse me. So now that we've defined a compelling event, a trigger moment yep. that leads to a compelling event, same thing. Yeah. You know. And I go back to the pain and gain question mm -hmm. before we get into the M&A, because I definitely want to go deep out of the M&A with you. Oh, I love it. Uh, on the pain and gain, it's like, what do you find works more effectively? And you're probably going to say it's a combo, but based on your presentations, you know, I can give you a compelling vision of the future of where you want to be, mm -hmm. or I can tell you how horrible it's going to be, you know, if you stay, you keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just give me your sense of that. You know, what do you think customers are responding to? I know it's a broad question. Kind of unfair, but yeah, right. it's okay. Uh, what are customers <laughs> responding to? Um, I think now the way you know, we sell complex products, so let me be clear with that. So, you know, our buyer group might be 12 people. Um, if you're selling to individuals, this might be slightly different. Um, I think people are responding to what I call the one thing. So, everybody in that buyer group has one thing that they're concerned about. Um, and so, when you're when we're when we're seeing people do successful presentations, um, you know. Those buyers are out there and they're either, you know, they have a fear, they're scared of something, I don't know, you know, or they have, they want to move up in their career or they're a CFO, right? I may be a part of everybody's buying group, some sort of, you know, procurement, right? And how are they going to notch their career? They're going to get a great deal. And so as a seller, I think it's, it's incumbent on you to understand or at least try to understand what the one thing is for everybody in that buying group. And then that's how you tailor your presentation. Um, when you go in, right? And so being able to tailor a presentation on the fly is another thing that we do here, help comes with here at Big Team Can. And that is like literally you're walking to the door and you get the email sitting in the parking lot and they say, hey, guess what? Procurement's going to join, right? You grab that you grab that one slide out of the Big Team Can library, throw it in your slide, personalize it for the procurement lady who's sitting in there on the, in the meeting with you now. Okay, so that gives you the ability to change that presentation on the fly no matter where you are, right? Sitting at the bar That's, in the airport. By the way, that, I never thought about that, but that, that is a sweet feature, by the way. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty nice. But we've all yeah. been there, right? How many times have you have walked into the room and you're like, I did not know that that person was going to be here. Now you immediately, you're now, you're, you've got this canned presentation. You've been working on it for six weeks. Guess what? 
you know, the CTO showed up. <laughs> what does he care about? He cares about driving efficiency and software. Oh gosh, what do I got to do right, now? Right. right? I flip in a few slides and from my, from your, from your uh, platform like Big Tin Can, bam, I can answer that guy's concerns or that gal's concerns. I love that. Hey, Russ, I'm gonna put you up. I, I'm put you on, I'm putting you on a spot a lot. That's all I'm good. You, yeah, I love this. you can. I, I, I feel like you could. Do, you could take it. Um, tell, tell me what you think about. You know, you talked about. Let's say. You know, depending on whose numbers you believe, right? You got nine buyers involved, twelve buyers now, whatever the number is. Okay. You know, how do you? You know, your perspective on trying to build consensus when you got different people going in there for different reasons, different motivations and agendas. You know, what are some of the things maybe you think about <clears throat> when you go in there dealing with different buyers? Um, I, I would start with force ranking the buyers. So, who you know, by that, I mean, I, I, let's say there's five, just for simple math here. There's mm -hmm. one There's one person there who has the most influence, right, in that buying group. And, and let's say you're selling into marketing because that's, I'm a marketer and that's pretty straightforward, right? You're selling into a marketing team, right? So you're looking at that. Now, I force rank that marketing team as, as follows, right? The CMO has the budget. So the person I need to convince the most is the CMO. Now, I might not have the ability to get to the CMO. So my next force ranking right. is who has the CMO's ear? Like who can influence the most powerful person in the room? And then on and on and on. Now, as I force rank that, it would be one, the person that's going to write the check, right? Two, the person who's going to convince the person to write the check. And three, who is the person who's going to torpedo this? Right, who's sitting over there on the side? Okay, that's how I force rank. That's such yeah. a great little road. That's such a great little roadmap. Who can write the check? Who can yeah. talk the guy into writing the check? And who's going to shoot me? Right. Who's going <laughs> to torpedo this? So whose career is going to be negatively affected? Right. Who's the person who's looking at your competitor on the side to do something else? Who does the slight thing that he's already almost got a deal done with, or she's almost got a deal yeah. done with? Right. So now buying center stuff. You know, this has been talked about through, from the sales world now for a long, for quite a while, right? Because it's changing, it's changing. And that, that's because of fear, right? Because of, mm -hmm. you know, this ability to do research and the ability for, you know, everyone's getting a little more scared. You know, we're hypothetically entering a recession here. I'm not going to say that. It's happened yet. Um, so everyone's starting to say, okay, Nick, how I'm going to protect my job. So that, right. that kind of changes that buyer group once again. So force ranking them that's every time uh, to me is really critical. And, you know, that's a scientist to me coming out, right? You want to force rank things based on the most important to spend your time there. Like you're not necessarily always going to get to that buyer. You know this, Victor. I mean, sometimes the buyer is is only going to see two slides of a PowerPoint deck that the champion brings to them. Right. So right. knowing right. knowing what that compelling event, and again, is that buyer in a compelling event, or is your champion in a compelling event? Force ranking those through. That's the way I think about it. Yeah, I, I I love the way you put that. I, you know, I joke about it, but I really do love the way you put that. It's very simple to kind of memorize. You know, uh, next, well, no, at the end of the month, I'll be interviewing Matt Dixon. Matt Dixon was the co-author of the Challenger Sale. <clears throat> love it. He, he also started a company called Tether, which is a conversation intelligence platform. And he wrote a book called Jolt, The Jolt Effect, which comes out in September. And I got a sneak mm -hmm. peek at it, right? Okay. And one of the things, you know, the data was showing him, and I think I, I really want your take on this because I'm sure you're probably seeing the same thing or not, is yeah. that one of the big things to get a deal unstuck, you know, okay. out of the indecision mode was de-risking was the word he used. It's how do you okay. de-risk something for clients? Talk to me about, you know, um, you know, how do you do you de-risk? Do you by de-risk? I mean, you give them a way out so they can make a buying decision, especially in your business, because. That's a big platform they're buying from you, right? It's a big investment. Absolutely. How do you de-risk a buy? That's a great question. Um, putting me on the spot, I have to think about it for a second. But uh, you know, I don't know what data Matt has. But if he has CI, then he's listening in on conversations, right? Yeah. Um, so this, yeah. So, so I'll give you some examples. Uh, one was yeah, like, example, li sure. li lim limiting the length of the contract was de-risking. Uh, okay. Putting it in phases. You know, putting a, doing a project in phases and just measuring everything at the end of each phase with no commitment to go to the second phase if the first phase didn't yeah. work. And just mm -hmm. different strategies like that. I just thought, you know, I had you on here. I just wanted to get your opinion on or just, you know, yeah, your opinion on, you know, if you use any de-risking strategies to make the customer go, all right. Because his whole thing was yeah. they know they have to change. They have a compelling moment and they're urgent about that sure. moment. But then something's holding them back. How do you get people to get yeah. unstuck? Maybe that's another way of putting it. I appreciate that. Now, I appreciate the clarification. So, yeah, I mean, the way to think about it is like this, right? I, I'm over here, 
and I'm starting to feel this pain, right? And but is the pain is it great enough to get me over there to make the decision to purchase six figure software? I think that's what you're asking me. Right? So how do I de-risk? How do we just de-risk that for them? Well, you know exactly what you said, right? So what we want to do is we want to show them a crawl, walk, run. So what what we try to go into de-risk is we want to say what is that primary thing that you need to solve from a sales perspective, right? You know, are your sales cycles too long? Are you not upselling effectively? Are you discounting too much? Do you have an onboarding problem, right? So you de-risk it by saying, okay, let's fix this problem first, okay? Because you've got a good met- It's a problem. You've had enough time to measure it, or we'll help you measure it. So we'll we'll bring a, a customer success team in and say, look, let's let's help you measure the problem because we want to define a baseline. So when I think about de-risking, I've, I've got to have a baseline, right? So I need to know what your current sales cycle is or your sales velocity is, right? If I know that. Then I can say, all right, here's how we're going to de-risk this. Okay, phase one, we're going to fix this one problem. Here's how we're going to fix it. We're going to bring a team in to help you do it. So one of the things that stops people from buying big software is how the hell are we going to implement this, right? right. How are we going to get this thing out into the field? So we're going to de-risk that by saying we're going to provide you with an expert, and not only an expert, but a vertical expert. So what Big Ten can is a little different, I think, is we actually hired vertical experts to be customer success. So for telecom, we hired a person right out of AT&T, right? And said, you're going to help right. these telecom companies, right? The, the big tell, right? How, get these things implemented. You know their business. So we de-risk it in those ways. We bring in experts in the vertical. We fix a single problem first. Boiling the ocean is one of the worst things you can possibly do with sales movement. I do not recommend it. Um, it is not a fix-all. It is a tool, okay? Uh, it, mm-hmm. Sales enablement software will not fix your problem. Okay, implementing it correctly and measuring will fix your problem. So that's how yeah. that's what I think about you risking, right? It's saying, look, not only are you going to install this, yeah. it's going to cost you money, right? Because not only are you going to cost you money with us, it's going to cost you time. That's money as well. Okay, so how are you right. going to use that to get a, to a number that you go back and you say, hey, we spent this. Here's what we solved. This is the baseline. Here's where it is today. In this time frame, we're going to try to get it to here. Okay, that, to me, that's yeah. an easy way to de-risk it. That phase approach is a great idea. But bringing that vertical expert, critical, absolutely. That, critical. I've never heard that. By the way, I think I think that's an exceptional idea. Uh, and again, I feel your pain. Uh, back in my other life, I was a uh, program manager running a software group, and I had nine okay. people on my team. And I remember customers were always like, "Victor, I know your product works, but yeah. the, the word that always kills a lot to deal." But, but oh. <laughs> he says, "How do we get all of that in there? And then how do we know they're going to use once you put it in there, right?" And exactly. it's always that. It's always that friction. Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, you, you mentioned M&As and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bringing together of two companies, Rusty. You yep. know, we, we're talking... Now we're bringing together platforms and we're bringing together people, you know, give me, give me the, uh, uh, the around the campfire, good ways of doing it, bad, way, bad ways of doing it. And, you know, just walk us through an M&A process and what are some of the best practices? So put this into perspective, how many M&A events have you been involved with personally? Personally? Uh, probably yeah, take a round guess. 24. Okay. So let's say 24. That, let's say that that's average. Long. By the way, that's over, over a, a three to five year period. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is reality for all you salespeople out there in the world. You are going to experience M&A events. It is going to happen, right? The majority of companies do not IPO. The majority of companies get bought or they go out of business. <laughs> okay. So let's be fair. Okay. So very few companies are going to IPO. If you're so lucky to be a part of one, get your options package. You're awesome. Okay. Now let's talk about M&A because to me, it's near and dear to my heart because uh, in the last three years, I've been involved in 11 events. I built a company and sold it to another company. Uh, I was the CEO and founder of that company. Uh, and I've been on the other side and purchasing companies um, here at Big Ten Can. Um, so now if I think about the individual seller, um, what I witnessed is a lot of confusion. Um, you know, most people don't know this is coming, right? You, you wake up one morning to an email from your CEO that says town hall, <laughs> You know, you pop onto the Zoom meeting nowadays and they're like, guess what? We just got bought. And right. you, an immediate thing to me that seems to happen is fear is, have I lost my job? Okay. So as being on the other side of this 
as many times as I have in recent years, I would encourage you to flip that. And I'm curious, I would encourage you to be curious, okay? And be curious and say, how could this be the moment that defines my next phase of my career? Okay, because now you have the chance just to wipe the slate clean, okay? So let's say you're on the side being acquired. So let's say you're in the middle of your sales team, you're doing great, but you're not quite in the top. Here's your chance to move to the top. So that's the way I would look at it. So how can I take this event as a way to move to the top of, of the heap, right? And what am I going to do? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to learn about the compelling buying events for this company that I just joined. I'm going to go talk to marketing and say, what kind of leads do you guys produce? In? I'm going to go talk to sellers and say, how good is marketing? <laughs> so, and then learn the product. You, you have a moment here to have that change as an individual. Now, if you're a sales manager, hold, yeah, let's talk, so yeah, so feed in there. So if you're an individual seller, what do you think, Victor? I'm curious. No, I'm with you. I, 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 I now know why you're in marketing. Because uh, you're like, no, no, let's not go negative. Let's go positive. Because I have the same viewpoint, Rusty, which is like, well, wait a minute. If we're being bought out, I'll probably have more resources. They probably have a better infrastructure than we do, some better processes yep. and systems. Um, and just, by the way, a side note to, to this is that they did a study on um, like top performers. And so if the, yeah. uh, an insurance company, if a top performer left and went to another competitor, it took them three years to get back to where they were originally at. And what they realized wow. based on his study, yeah, I thought that was shocking. What they found is that only 30% of the individual contribution was based on success. In other words, uh, the reason that salesperson was successful was 30% of it was because of their sales skills. The other okay. 70% had to do with systems, processes like marketing, sales process, you know, CRM platforms, yeah. sales engagement platforms. And that taught me, I, when I saw that study, I was like, oh, so a lot of success has to do with more of the infrastructure. And you would know this best because you've built and sold companies. Yeah, it totally does. So yeah, that, that kind of takes me to the next phase of the M&A, which is, is if you're a manager, right? So let's say you're a, a sales manager and you manage a territory, right? Eight, mm -hmm. 10 people. Um, deferred, you're going to be compared against the other manager in that territory, right? unless you're so lucky to be bought in a situation where they're just buying new territories, right? That's a whole different game. So let's just take that situation, right? So now you're, you're in a situation where you're going to go head to head with another sales manager for that territory. Mm -hmm. They're not keeping both of you. Um, so now, again, how do I spend that back to the positive? How do I be curious? You know, Hey, is the, is the person I'm going up against successful? All right. I've now got to do, I've now got to think of a whole new world of sales, which is now I'm in a, I'm in a head to head battle <laughs> with another sales manager. And again, I think it comes down to those systems and tools, right? So do you, do you have the systems and tools in place at your current company? Or are you about to get a set of systems and tools that you're going to have to quickly learn and get up to speed on, right? So let's say they had big Tim Ken sitting there, right? I'll, I'll be a little cheesy here and do a little marketing. Um, let's say you got bought by a company and they had a sales enablement platform like Big Team Can. Um, if you're a manager, the first thing I would do is learn that platform as fast as I can learn it. Because what's it going to give you? It's going to give you analytics. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you can get analytics, you got data. And data doesn't lie. People do. Okay. So no matter what they're telling you over there on the other side of the M&A, the data will always tell you the truth. You got to get a so shirt. You got to get a shirt. Really data doesn't lie. People do. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite phrases. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. But it's true that. of everything, right? It's true. It's true of marketing. It's true of sales. It's true of, you know, IT. Everything you deal with in business. Uh, data doesn't lie. Pe people do. Yeah. Right? And, so, and they're not lying on purpose. They may just might know the answer. Okay? But the data will always tell you, right? So get the data from the marketing team. Get the data out of the sales enablement platform. Get the data out of CRM. Make that data your friend because it's going to tell you the direction to go and to navigate when you get that M&A done. Yeah. I, so I this guess is something always, I'm really obsessed about. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've always viewed, you know, mergers and acquisition. I've never had a negative connotation or viewpoint, you know, of them. I'm always like, if we're acquiring somebody, it's like, what else can I sell now? What are they bringing that I can now sell, right? I, I thought about, and then when we got acquired, I'm like, okay, what new territories or customers do I now have access to? Yeah, because that's the best company. part of it, right? And so glass half full, half empty type of thing. Uh, but I, but I, I want to wrap up with this because I know your time is valuable. I don't want to keep you on here too long. But I, I, I need to know, Rusty, it's a compelling question that I personally need to know the answer to. How does a guy with a biochemistry background, a PhD, get into marketing? What the heck happened? Dude, what the heck happened? Yeah. How, how do you explain this to people? So uh, people change careers. Let's just say it that way. So everybody's going to change. Most people change careers during their life. So I, I actually, I do have a PhD in biochemistry and molecular genetics. Um, I spent uh, about 12 years doing biochemical research. Uh, I worked on type 1 diabetes for the majority of that time. 
Uh, and I hit a point in academia where I decided I don't really want to be a professor. That's the bottom line. So I went to the, the private space. I went to work for a biotech company. Um, as part of that job, I was chief scientific officer. Um, and what I had to help them do was figure out how to rephrase and reframe their products to scientists. Um, that got me thinking about how scientists, let's say they're medical practitioners, or let's say they're um, you know, people working on diseases and those kind of things. You know, I had the unique perspective of, of buying millions of dollars of product a year when I was in the laboratory. Um, uh, what I brought to that was an idea of how do you sell the scientists? So I actually created a blog that was called How to Sell to Scientists, and I wrote um, about the things that I had experienced buying millions of dollars worth of science equipment. Um, and to be honest with you, my sales being on the buying, but my buying experience was not that great. That's what compelled me to go write that blog. Um, but, but at that point, I'll date myself a little bit. People would walk in with a giant catalog, literally paper, uh, to my lab, <laughs> and they would say, "Hey, what are you working on?" Hey, and they would literally look it up in a catalog and be like, "Yeah, we've got that. It's part number X Y Z." You know, eighteen years later, I would get it shipped to the lab. Okay, so that was selling then. Now it's really fast, right? You look up on the internet, bam, I, I can order the product, right? But so my experience was not very good. So I said, look, there's a better way to do this. So what I tried to do was write and think uh, from the perspective of a scientist buying things. That led me mm -hmm. into sales and marketing. And I started a company uh, with Mark Walker, who was at a company called Abitrogen, uh, called Fatstacks. And our entire reason to be was to take those giant catalogs and digitize them. So that was right about the time that uh, this lovely device was released, the iPhone. And what we did was digitize paper catalogs and made them searchable on phones and iPads for salespeople. Um, we grew that company, sold it to some of the biggest companies in the world. We had Corning, we had, we had Thermal Fisher, uh, salespeople using our tool. And I, we eventually sold that product to Big Tin Can about three years ago. And then when I came over, they didn't know what to do with me, and they put me in marketing. And the next thing you know, I'm the CMO. <laughs> uh, great story, by the way. And by, and by the way, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's worth highlighting that you know you were a buyer first. And then when you saw the bad sales habits, you're like, yeah, we got to change the game a little bit. But I like I like your phrase here, how to sell through science, man. I don't know. There's a book in there somewhere, Rusty. There's a book in there somewhere, how to sell through science. Uh, oh, I, I next, do, what, next thing, right? <laughs> one, one more thing. Oh, we, I didn't touch on this. I, I'm, I'm going to kick myself. Just, yeah, go for it. Rusty, talk about time. a little bit about the, um, you know, um, and this is not self-promotion. I just want to give you context in case you don't know. So in 2018, no I wrote a book called Sales Ex Machina, which is how AI is changing the world of selling. And this, this is four years ago when I wrote the book. I, I'm a nerd just like you, man. I came from the uh, engineering side, so I came up that way. And tell me what you're seeing now. Because now I even, I'm, you know, things I was saying four years ago, I'm like, oh, I think it's even past what I've even stated. Uh, I also know you're connected to a guy named, I don't know if you know, Justin Michael, who wrote Tech Powered Sales. Fantastic book, mm -hmm. by the way. Uh, also talks about yep. AI and the different tech stacks. And I wanted to ask you, just get your take, your opinion on, you know, First of all, AI, how, you know, Big Tin Can is using AI, and then just your, yeah. you know, predict as a good AI algorithm would where this is going. Okay. So I'll start with the caveat that I do not predict the future uh, any better than anybody else in the world, okay. which is I have zero ability to predict the future. Uh, this is something I really love, though. I, I think machine, let's, let's take it, let's just break this down one level. So machine learning is the step precursor to AI. And my personal belief is there is no AI currently on this planet. Um, my guess is we're probably many years out. <laughs> okay, now what we do have is really good machine learning. And what machine learning needs is a giant data set. It has, and you can teach it with a thing called an algorithm, which you just described, right? How to look through that data and find things that a human couldn't find. To me, that's the easiest way to think about machine learning or AI. So now, if, if that's what it does, I sit on top of this giant pool of data, crunch, 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 crunch numbers based on some mathematical formula, I can now serve up insights to anyone based on a linear path. This is the most important thing that I've grasped lately is machine learning is linear, okay? So it, it's not gonna branch off and all of a sudden figure out how to do physics if it's learning about how people talk during sales calls, right? So yeah. Gong CI is never gonna create physics, right? right. <laughs> But what it's it can very, do is it's very narrow insights. is what you're saying, right? Is that the same definition when you talk about narrow, narrow band, yeah. right? Okay. Okay, so it's it's linear, but it's very fast linear, right? Okay. So once an AI is trained well, it's called a machine learning of AI, sorry, I'm getting the words mixed up a little bit there. Once it begins to learn and the algorithm gets better and better, it gets faster and faster at extrapolating that information. 
Okay, so now what could an individual seller, let's go back to the individual. I love talking to the individual sellers because I think it's the most fun. Okay, now as an individual seller, how could I utilize machine learning to be better at my job? Okay, the, the example you gave was uh, earlier was uh, conversational intelligence, CI. So we actually have our own AI here at Big Team Can. It's called Voice Vibes. Um, it is trained very specifically to understand what vibe you are giving off to another human. That is the only thing that that machine learning is trained on. So let's think about that for a second. Do you actually know how anybody perceives you? I'm unaware. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's you have no there's idea. Times, you by the way, there, there's you times know. you do, but there, in many cases you don't, really. Right, because they could be going, man, this guy is bitsy. This yeah. guy is arrogant, right? Yeah. And, and because everyone's perception of other people is different, it's completely set up by our backgrounds. It's set up by our education. Um, it, it might be set up by the, the guy who got mad at me at the, in the, the coffee stand this morning because I cut him, right? So now you, other people perceive you a certain way. So what this particular machine does is we trained it on thousands and thousands of hours of people speaking with voice coaches who truly understand your vibes, okay? Now, all that machine does, it learns how to tell you your vibes, so you can actually use it to figure out how other people are perceiving you. Okay. Okay. What we learned, okay, is that if you are um, assertive, you're thirteen percent. Sorry, thirty percent more likely to close a deal mm -hmm. than if you're anything else. But you're also more likely to close if you're arrogant, which I think is very interesting. So if you come across as ditzy or shy, if you come across as uh, uninformed, if you come across as confused. It's better to be arrogant, which I think is very interesting, right? So what we've done is now we're training this thing on massive sales teams, right? So you know we've got people in call centers with 50,000 people. Um, this piece of CI is listening in on those calls and it's saying, hey, Victor, right there, you sounded a little ditzy. And you go, okay, I need to improve that. So now you can go practice against that machine during your practice time, something I know that you're big on, right? Everybody should shoot layups, okay? Mm -hmm. Just go shoot layups. Use the machine to go shoot layups. It's learned from thousands and thousands of hours about the way people perceive you and figure out what vibe you want to give off and then figure out which vibes help you sell more. That's interesting. So that's, that's a great so use of machine learning, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's really a really different way to think about it as an individual seller, right? So your company might have bought these kind of things and yeah, maybe your boss is using it to listen in in your calls, right? So the, the, the thing I've heard pushed back from individual people is like, oh, those are people listening in on me or they're trying to spy on me. And, yeah. and so maybe now if you were curious, yeah. And you said, okay, how can I use this to my advantage? So now we're talking about machine learning. We're talking about AI. You asked me where I think it's going. So now let's say you combined a couple of these things up, right? You've got something like voice vibes. You've got something like Gong doing CI. You've got other intelligence working inside your CRM system saying, hey, every time someone shows page three of PowerPoint XYZ, we close a deal five days faster. Okay, so now you, once those things combine, now you've, you've really got this huge additive power that individual sellers, managers, and even entire companies can now take advantage of to actually predict the outcome. And it'll come back to something we talked about in the very beginning. So where I think AI and machine learning is gonna be really interesting over the long haul is creating an amazing buying experience. And I told you I was completely obsessed with this in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So right now, if you don't know how you're perceived, you don't know what kind of buying experience your buyer's having. If you don't know what your buyer wants to see, video, PowerPoint, AR, VR, doesn't matter, they're not having a great buying experience. But if a machine can predict that for you, and let's say you walked in, you, you're ready to go, you knew how they wanted to be perceived, you knew what materials to bring, how much better would you be at your job? Yeah, much better. So yeah. that's where I think it's going. So, God, I know I said I was going to end this podcast, but dude, you just keep, no, you just keep peeking things and I'm just like, okay, more about that. So on the buy, so <laughs> we can do this again. So first, so first of all, <laughs> I, I, did, I never thought about it. I have to be like really honest here. I, I never thought about... You know, I, I knew about sentiment analysis, and when I think about your voice vibes, I never thought about using it as, as a mirror on my own voice. Never thought about that. I always thought Absolutely. about analyzing the customer's voice only, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, because, yeah. you know, different platforms, we talk about different things, but like combining talk time, you know, interruptions and all that. But I never thought about just me talking, recording myself, and then, you know, figuring out what vibe I give off. I I think the 30% the, the, the assertive and arrogant it kind of makes sense if you yeah. look at the data from like the Challenger sale or again Matt Dixon's yeah. new book. Uh, it really lines up. I think maybe arrogance maybe is perceived as confidence. You know, 
Probably. Yeah, confidence is actually one of the highest indicators yeah. of bias. Maybe yeah, arrogant, arrogant sounds, it's a more yeah. pejorative. You're like, oh, that's a little. But you know, so, <laughs> so the on, on, on the buyer experience, you know, and, and again, you say you, you'll get to know like how they want to be sold to, right? So give me an example of, you know, hey, Victor, you know, here's a Big Ten Cam, Big Ten Cam platform, right? Here's a, here's a perfect mm-hmm. example of how we had to switch how we interacted with our customer because he knew he wanted to interact differently. Just some simple examples. I'm sure you have a bunch of those. Um, I, actual switching to what Big Ten Can did for a customer. Yeah, in other words, I've, I've identified I'm a frontline salesperson using the Big Ten Can platform. This, this, the machine learning is telling me this person really likes to be dealt this way. They want to be dealt with this way. Or, you know what I mean? They uh, want okay. that buying experience. They're different. Okay, so I, I, I'm able as a salesperson to kind of do multi- task switching or buyer experience switching. That makes any mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, so classic example of that is um, part of this. You know, this is true of almost most, most sales name platforms. Right? So I want to be not too pitchy here. Um, so a very good sales name platform should have buyer analytics. So it should give you the ability to let's take a classic place so you're the type of seller who goes out we have a conversation and i'm going to send you something mm-hmm. right so whether that's a i send it to you an email let's say it's a powerpoint that copy of my deck or it's a pdf one pager right i'm going to send that to you okay i might put it in a digital sales room it's kind of new idea that we got this collaboration space up here we're going to work in mr buyer um, but I, I somehow get this to you right this is a classic sales thing. we all do it send me something mm-hmm. right so how do you know what they want, how they want to be interacted with. Okay. Are they opening your email or did they want to get it by text? Okay. So, or what page of that PowerPoint did they obsess on? Okay. So now the machine will tell you, all right, Victor, you sent this PowerPoint to Rusty uh, two weeks ago. He's looked at page three 52 times. Okay. So either his kid is clicking on the button on his iPhone, you know, having fun, or there's something going on on page three. Okay. And he's doing it on his iPhone. Okay, because you, the analytics will tell you the device, right? You have to opt it in. I want to be cautious here. Not doesn't work in Europe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so now, what do I know? Right? I know one. He reacted to my email. Okay. Two. Something on page three is extremely compelling. And number, you know, and how do I go back now and use the information that's piping? Right. This will come up as a notification right on your phone. Victor looked at page three. Okay, so what do I need to do? I need to go find out what's on there. What is that behavior is doing? What is it, what are they doing? Are they just looking at it? Or are they forwarding it around the company? Right? Are now are now there are multiple people looking at, at page three? So it's just all the types of things is what the machines is going to tell you, yeah. right? So you would have no way of knowing that before. So you could absolutely flip things on the head. We saw this during COVID quite a bit, right? Because sellers no longer had the ability there for a little while to go meet in person. Mm-hmm. So you had to find all these interesting ways to understand how buyers were experiencing your stuff. Yeah. So without a sales enablement tool, you're just firing it blind. Yeah, I agree. So that's 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 probably the classic thing I can think of, like off the top of my head. Now I think these systems are going to get better and better. This is one of the things we're coming back to this, this AI topic for just a second. I know we're probably way over time, but it doesn't matter. Keep going. Um, Keep going. So Keep going. I'm loving this. Right. So again, we talked about machine learning. In order to make a machine learn, you have to have this giant data set. Okay. So you might need five years of sales data in order for the machine to begin to extrapolate good information. Okay, so let's say a customer's been on Big Tin Can platform for five to six years. They're collecting data on sales coaching, sales onboarding, sales training. They're collecting data on what's being sent out in the field. They're collecting buyer analytics. They marry that up to the data that's in their CRM. What do they have? They have a digital advantage. Okay, they have a digital advantage because those two data sets can talk to each other with the same machine learning on top of it. Okay, so I, for any company that is not thinking about this, this is your warning shot. The biggest companies in this world in this world have been collecting this data and understand already how to manipulate it. Okay, they are taking off on a linear path mm-hmm. with an escape velocity that you can never catch because their machines are going to learn faster than yours. Okay, this is critical, right? So if you haven't thought about this as a CEO, as a seller, as a VP of sales, you got to get this your head wrapped around this because data is going to eat you alive. You know, and, and I love what you you know because this is what we talk about. We talk about Amazon, right? They have so much data yep. there, as you say, they're you Amazon. know escape velocities. Well, they've they've gone already. They're they're on their way to Mars already. Yeah, they've gone. And no, they're gone. So, yeah. so that right there is is an exceptional point. 
I'll add this one. I, I love your opinion on this one. Is that I don't think enough companies look as the, at the data uh, as an asset, much like, like I would look at property or building or capital, mm-hmm. right? What are your thoughts on yeah, that? 100%. Uh, so the future, if you look at several, let's just look into the near future a little bit, right? We've seen Meta come out. We've seen AR, VR. Um, we have seen things like Web3. Um, if you're not familiar with it, go Google it. Get on it right now. It's going to be a huge part of our lives here very soon. Um, it's all data. So the data that Amazon's data is probably more valuable to them than them selling their products to you. Uber's data is way more valuable to them than them driving you around and you paying them for it, right? Because what are they using that for? They're using it for the future, right? They're taking that data and they're going, how are we going to create better buying experiences, better and better and better and better and better, okay? And they're, 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 that data is the most critical thing in their world, right? So now if I'm a sales, if I just say I'm a normal old sales organization and I sell insurance, something you mentioned earlier, right? Um, you're, and let's say you've got 500 sellers and maybe a thousand distributors, not distributors, what are they called? Uh, yeah. Agents, insurance agents. Sorry about that. Now you've got a pretty small data set, right? So it's going to take you a long time to build up enough unique data, but there's plenty of public data out there that you can go buy. Okay. Now you asked me why the data is valuable, right? Cause I can now sell my data to other vendors who can now marry that up and teach machines on it. So the data becomes the, becomes the product. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever sell that as a selling in point? The by the way, when you sell the ten uh, um, platform, or is that something you just kind of only touch on? The, I will say this: the way that I think about it is this: the top the top ten percent of high performing companies that are using sales enablement, sales training, sales coaching, sales readiness to its maximum efficiency, they're obsessed with data. Yeah. I'll just they are they're they're it's part of their company cultures. They talk about it all the time. They dream about it. They think about it. They've hired data scientists already. Okay, now let's say you're in that next 60% who like wants to be in that 10%. So that's where we're highly encouraging them to start programs immediately to train, just training their employees on data. Like we just had a pretty relatively minor, shallow conversation about machine learning, right? But even that amount of knowledge is probably not sitting in the majority of your people's heads. So simply training them about why the data is important. Um, is, is really important for that next 60% of companies, which I think are like on their way to being top performers with sales enablement and using it as the actual way it should be used. And the bottom 40, I mean, they're just happy to get PDFs out of SharePoint. Let's just be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, you're, that's fine too. Yeah. It's totally fine. Right. I was, I was going to say, so, totally you know, when you, look, when you look at the, uh, the big Tintican platform, there's the, what is it? The learning module, the engagement module and the content module. Yep. And I, and exactly. and so I want you so so there's learning I can train my, the frontline salespeople engagement here are the tools I use to connect with clients the content here's the stuff the yep. assets you're going to need to um, sell them presentations you know whatever it may be now mm-hmm. we we have so mm-hmm. you have all this data sitting there right now I want you to tie it to one last point I swear this will be my last one you said you, you said you were doing something with VR like how does this all uh-huh. play together like like. I'm still having a hard time with the meta thing. I got to be honest. I'm just like, I'm trying to wrap my brain around, you know, how real is it? You know, look, 20, 30 years ago, they talked about expert systems and AI. And then it went through 20 years of a nuclear winter before we had enough data processing power, so forth and so on. So I keep hearing Mm -hmm. VR and I'm thinking, I don't know. I think there's another 20 years off. But then you see uh, Zuckerberg go meta and you're like, well, why would he do that? You know, so, so what's yeah. your perspective on VR and maybe how it ties to your platform? What are you guys doing? Okay, so uh, my personal perspective on it is um, it's coming faster than you think okay. it is. Um, people as smart as Mark Zuckerberg and the people that back him and he can surround himself with would not allow them to make this bet if they did not believe that this was real. So that's that's my personal take on it, right? So what are we doing? Uh, Big Ten Can is uh, very innovative. So we did buy a company uh, last year who specializes in uh, XR, which is a combination of augmented reality, virtual reality, and uh, sorry, one of the reality. doesn't matter. We'll use, we'll use those two, right? Augmented reality is very simple. Um, I want to sell you this coffee cup. I hold up my phone. The phone shoots the coffee cup, recognizes it, and tells me the features of it. I can share a video with you right here on my phone. Okay, because it recognizes that object, it's going to put something there and augment the reality of this cup. Okay, we are selling this quite often. It is in the field right now. 
Um, you can walk into stores, I can't name their names, and you can see this technology being used today, 100%. We are beginning to sell virtual reality. Um, imagine you sell cranes. Okay. How are you going to put a train in your, in your trunk and drive it over there, right? Mm -hmm. You're not, okay? But I can easily put you a virtual reality headset on, and I can show you how that crane works. I can show you how it functions. I can take it apart. I can set you in it. I can show you the height of it. I can show you the width of it. Okay, that is happening today. The best companies in the world are already there. Right, right. It is 100% happening. We're already selling it. We actually all, all, uh, offer software to not only do this, but companies can build it themselves with drag and drop. Wow, that's amazing. I'd, I'd have to, just like a website. That's amazing. How would you use it with the... Uh, just like a How website. would you use it with your... When you're training... Are, are there any plans to use it training frontline salespeople? All the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the main, main things you're going to do. Let's say you have a simplest case. Let's say you sell, I don't know, toilets, mm -hmm. right? And, and you're, you're, you're American standard, not a customer. It doesn't right. matter. I just have to see it over here. Um, and you're, you're bringing in distributors from Lowe's and Home Depot all over the world. And they're, they're like, how do I sell this new and awesome toilet, right? I mean, the way to think about it now, the way, they, the way they're training those people is they're just handing them a device and they're walking over to the machine and it's in the, a person's popping up and they're saying, hey, let's learn about this toilet. How do you sell it? What are the value props? Blah, 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 blah. That's already happened, right. right? So now how do you extrapolate that? So the way we're extrapolating that is companies like Matterport, um, who you may have heard of, publicly traded company. They're very big in, the, in meta and AR and those kind of things. They actually have technology which they can come in with cameras and create that virtual space and recreate it in virtual. So they can literally walk into a room, shoot, shoot it with cameras. Now it's a virtual right. space. Now I don't have to fly people all over the world to my training center, right? They just put on their headset and they get trained on all their products. That's amazing. And they could do it anytime in their That's own amazing. time, right? So think of the dollar. We'll go back to dollar save something mm -hmm. in time, right? So first of all, time. I'm to fly people over here right. and do stuff, okay? Time and then, and then dollars. It costs a lot of money to fly people mm -hmm. to training centers. Companies spend millions of dollars on this. So uh, this is all happening right now. We have people doing sales kickoffs in virtual space now, literally completely in virtual. No, I, I trust me, I know. The, how, how do, <laughs> but how, Rusty, how do you, as a chief marketing officer, for yeah. this company that keeps acquiring other companies? Because I know you also acquired one of my favorite Brain Sharks. <laughs> love the brand, by the way. Love yeah, the brand. Love Brain Sharks. And Absolutely. so you're the chief marketing officer, and it seems like you yeah. got to herd the company cats. Right. And move him in a certain yeah. direction closes out with how does Rusty do it, man? How does Rusty try to put his arm around all this stuff and then say, all right, here's the go to market plan. Um, I'll just come back to what, what uh, I told you, what we're obsessed with the buying experience. So, you know, we're going to take that lens and go and look at everything. The reason we buy companies is innovation, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to get ahead of the market and we're buying things that are, it's faster for us to buy them than code them. I'll just, that's just the reality, right? So that's, that's true of almost all software companies, right? Salesforce, I think they average nine companies a year, um, you know, and they're buying innovation, right? So, and when that's the lens of I as a marketer, I'm going to look at that through. So how does this fit with our vision of creating an amazing buying experience for buyers? Okay. And then how do I take these tools that this company has? Let's say it's their products, like a brain chart, right? Amazing products been around for 12 years. What makes it great is it's really easy to create sales content. That's it. That's what makes it great, right? I can upload a PowerPoint and I can talk over it and I can send it to somebody. It's the simplest tool you can imagine, right? But that's an amazing thing to create in a buying experience because now everybody in your company is a, is a SME, right? A subject matter expert. You don't, you don't have to go to the, the awesome Charles Sales Training Center to create your courses. Anybody can upload a PowerPoint, talk over it, branch learning, upload it to the system. You're good to go, right? So now that's, so if I put my lens on it, what does that do for my customers and my customers' customers? If we can help anybody in your company train you faster to get up to speed, you're going to create a better buying experience for your customer. So that's my lens. So anything we do, I'm looking at their systems, I'm looking at their people, and I'm looking at their marketing, and I'm looking at their products. And I'm saying, how is this going to translate to helping our customers create a great buying experience? Holy bucks. You know what you, I want you to do, Rusty? Take the following words and show <laughs> this to your CEO. You need to pay this man more money. I don't know what he's making, but make, give, give him more money. because that, that, that was a lot. And then, by the way, what you said was kind of an outline of what you do. The execution of that and the completion of that has to be yeah. just uh, tough. Uh, Rusty. It's, it's months. I'll I tell you, it's months. Yeah, I think a little more. Yeah, months is being very conservative, I'm sure. Sure. Uh, Rusty, uh, where can they find out more about you, my friend? 
Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Rusty Bishop on uh, J Rusty Bishop on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter, Twitter at J Rusty Bishop. And uh, those are the two best places to get All me. Right. And also, go check out the Big Tin Can website at BigTinCan.com. And that is it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave me some feedback on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you're hearing or listening. Then check out the Big Tin Can website. And after you do that, go to SalesVelocityAcademy.com. Check out the new courses there. And on that note, this is Victor Antonio, always reminding you, acelerate hard when you have Big Tin Can and you know how to use it. Bye. <laughs> And we're done. Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win.